Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. So about a dozen unicorns have emerged from British Columbia over the past 10 months. And well, prior to the pandemic, startups reaching valuations of a billion dollars or more, well, those were more of a rare breed here on the West Coast. That's not the case anymore. Today, I'm excited to talk to Steve Munford. He is the CEO of Trulio. The Vancouver-based tech firm specializes in online identity verification, or Know Your Customer, as it's also called. Steve now leads one of those recent unicorns, following a record-setting raise of nearly $400 million U.S. back in June. Steve, thanks for joining us on the show today. Tyler, uh, pleasure and uh, nice to be here. So it's interesting. You joined Trulio, I think, what was it, like the, the first or second week of the pandemic lockdown? Like what was going through your mind at that time? Yeah, I, I actually had the chance of meeting the company briefly in person. And then um, I, uh, the weekend came and I, I uh, the office, we had to shut down the office. And, and so my first, I guess, official day in the office was in the uh, basement. Um, you know, I guess like many other people or in my basement, uh, many other people, I thought, oh, geez, this will be done in, you know, a couple of weeks and uh, I'll be back in the office, but obviously not. What was kind of the, the thought process with regards to this rapid shift to remote working, especially as you're kind of the, the new executive leading the company? Um, was there moments you're just kind of questioning? Do you have to reach out to a lot of other folks just trying to figure out what would be the next thing to do? You know, um, I, I listen, there's no playbook, but uh, one of the things that did enable me to do is uh, I think at the time we had about 150 people in the company, or maybe slightly less than that. But uh, I went about doing uh, 50 Zoom meetings um, to meet, you know, a good good portion of the company and, and start to understand the culture, the business and um, the opportunity. And one of the benefits, I guess, of Zoom is you, you can pretty you can do that pretty quickly. So. Um, listen, I, I, it was a challenge, um, but, you know, we, we collectively as a company worked through it and, you know, as a CEO, I, I kind of worked through it. I think the, um, one, one of the challenges, which is interesting is that as we started to think about building up the team, expanding offices. So we, since, since, since then we've opened offices in Dublin and San Diego and Austin and really, really, um, over doubled the size of the team. I, I really, uh, at the time, I really didn't think we'd be able to do that remotely, but surprisingly, it's um, it's worked out quite well. Well, I want to get into the uh, the raise in just a minute there, but why locations like Dublin, you know, uh, Austin, th- th- those sorts of specific spaces within kind of this global remote first sort of uh, think that uh, we have with regards to business right now? Yeah, so so Dublin was, was easy. We um, we needed to put a flag in in Europe. Um, a lot of our customers. Are based out of Europe, and and we just simply couldn't support them, nor support um, the demand, uh, you know, the inbound inquiries. And we had a couple of uh, really strong Irish uh, employees that wanted to get back home, and so in some respects, we followed the talent. You know, I guess Dublin, you know, lots of tech companies over there, so it was a combination. We had we had some Irish talented that wanted to repatriate, and we, um, you know, it's a good location to build. Uh, San Diego and Austin. Austin is just a, a real great center for go-to-market resources, and that's where we found our, our, our CRO. And uh, you know, within our world of identity, reg tech, um, San Diego is home to a lot of companies. So we, again, as we look to expand um, the capacity, it was a natural place for us to plant a flag as well. 
So you joined the company in March of 2020, flash forward just over a year, uh, you have a record setting uh, uh, raise of nearly $400 million US. It gave you guys a valuation of more than $2 billion Canadian. Uh, so obviously there's some wheels in motion before you joined, but what drew you towards Trulio and that specific time in the, in the company's uh, development cycle? Yeah, I, you know, what drew me to, towards Trulio was, was two things. One is, um, you know, the company had built a, a, a great product, but, uh, but more than that, um, if, if you think about the challenges around identity, and if you believe that the majority of the GDP of the world can be, will be able to be done, you know, digitally, you, you really, the foundational thing that has to get solved for is how do, how do you, how do you identify the person when you don't, there's no in-person meeting and uh, how do you ensure that they're a real person and that person is real behind the keyboard and how can I have trust in them? And that challenge is, 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 has not been solved. I mean, I mean, truly has a number of the foundational pieces, but, um, you know, I, I think there's a multi, multi billion dollars to create a very significant platform by uh, taking what we have now and 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 adding to it. So, I, I guess in some ways it, it, it's a really hard problem. It's a huge opportunity, and and the ingredients um, that already existed and and truly were, were really the really the ingredients to start from. Earlier on this week on, on the podcast, I was talking to Ed Greenspawn uh, of the Public Policy Forum about Canada's need to have this increased digital adoption. Had the pandemic not happened, um, would you know the growth that you're seeing at Trulio would it have been a little bit slower? Did this really kind of accelerate just with regards to uh, the digital adoption that just really kind of enraptured the entire world in such a short period of time? Yeah, I, I think the the. The pandemic changed many things, um, and uh, one of the things that we saw was, you know, in-person um, processes went digital very, very quickly. But in addition to that, we saw um, this broad trend around, I'll call it democratization of financial products. So I, I don't know if it was directly pandemic related, but all of a sudden people were starting to look at how they're investing their money and were turning to digital platforms to do that. People were looking at alternative um you know, safe havens for, 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 for assets like cryptocurrencies, again, that, that really was, was um, took off over the last year, year and a half, but also things like online marketplaces, uh, payments, all, all of which um, became more digital over, over this time. Uh, again, all those were tailwinds to the business. Um, but on top of that, we, you know, we, over that course of time during the pandemic, we went from uh, about two sales folks to, uh, I think we we're about 30. So, you know, we had good momentum from from what was happening macroly, but we really, really did rapidly invest in our go-to-market and our capacity to go out and talk to more customers and get more people on the platform. It, it really is a valuable platform for a lot of organizations. Um, tell me a little bit about how it works, because you guys have access to multiple data sources, but just from, I guess, the, uh, the nitty-gritty of it all, you know, how does it work from a practical perspective? Yeah, so... Um, uh, my guessing is Tyler and, and pretty well everyone in the audience here will, will have been verified in some ways through the Trulio platform over the last year. And, and the way it works is, is if you're opening an account um, online and, and when you submit your information, the organization really needs to, the first step they want to do is say, hey, you know, is Tyler, is Steve a real person? And, and they go about doing that by taking your information and, 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 
and validating against trusted data sources. So that could be a creditor agency or government-issued database or whole sources, places where, where your identity lives. And if you're a company doing that in a single market, it's quite tricky. If you want to do it across the globe, it's incredibly hard because you know the, the data is very regionalized. People's PII is very regionalized. Uh, it'll be formatted in very different ways. And, and, and so to do it real time across multiple geographies gets challenging. And that's essentially what Julia's platform enables. Um, you know, we, we, we do a number of things on top of that that add to the um, building certainty that it is the right person and building trust. But it fundamentally starts with verifying who, who you are. And, um, and, and then we are the global lead in that. And, and our customers on average are doing business with us in 40 or 50 geographies. So it's really that global player trying to onboard customers across the world is um, are the folks that really um, are, are, are drawn to our platform. Well, and you, you put that in perspective, the kind of the, the global demand for this technology. How do some of things like different markets differ, you know, where what the needs are for customers based in North America versus, you know, countries in Africa or Asia where there might be different needs based on some of the big name clients that you guys actually have? Yeah, and, and it, it really is, you're right, it, it is different by geography. That's driven by um, the, the, the specific data regulations in that geography, the specific compliance regulations, or even the attributes that you can you can verify someone on. So at the end of the day, it, it, that makes it complex and challenging. And, and we've, we've been able to expand and, and get good at it, partly because we, we've um, partnered with a lot of great brands. And as they've gone globally, we've really walked alongside them, building out our platform and, and getting smart about the different geographies and, and really building the components and the enablement to, to, to make them successful. And, and in many ways, that's all enhanced our platform. So you guys got uh, an additional, you know, uh, $400 million US or so uh, in the coffers at this moment. Um, what are the expansion plans? What will this new money that you guys raised, uh, what will it allow you to do that you weren't able to do prior to that raise? Yeah, and just to cl- clarify one thing, we actually received $150 million US in our coffers. Uh, the, other, the other portion was secondary. So Julie's been around for 10 years and, and some of the early investors were looking for an exit just because of fund structure or, or a variety of things. So, so it was partly primary, partly secondary. Uh, that said, we're, we're a profitable company and, and, we're, and we're growing. So, so the 150 added to our, or was added to our bank account. So yeah, we have a, we have a robust bank account. You know, we're going to be investing in engineering, go to market and, and really organically expanding our platform. But, you know, it's also an opportunity potentially to look at other technologies that could accelerate um, really what we're trying to achieve and, and look at M&A as, a, as another path for growth and adding to the capabilities of the company. So it's twofold. One is it's only giving us a robust balance sheet to continue to invest in growth organically, but also gives us some flexibilities for um, acquisitions. I think the M&A question I have and the uh, raising of capital question I have, I, I wonder if they're one and the same. And how do you do something that which is so important to a company where, you know, pre-pandemic, you're meeting people in person, you are getting a, a feel for the lands. Um, how do you do both those things if you're relying on Zoom call and, and feeling confident about the people that you're going to be partnering up with in a, a very intimate way in terms of kind of uh, how business is done? Yeah, it's... 
It is phenomenal how, how people have been able to use Zoom and other platforms to build trust and do significant transactions or fundraise was all done over Zoom. Now, I, I did have, uh, you know, it was a bit unfair because I, I had met with the, our investors uh, many times previously in, in different different lives. Uh, so there was a relationship that established which would made it easier. But that said, a lot of fundraising or hiring or business is being done digitally. So I, I think I think that's that's um, that's that's part of, that's the future. But that said, uh, you know, since you know the last six months, I've had a chance to meet with um, our team. We've we've had we actually had the, all the leadership team up in Vancouver last week, and I imagine as we look at M and A, you know, we may be able to get um, conviction around the opportunity, the business, and their technology digitally. But at some point, in person interaction is really we're going to create that bond, that trust, and, and specifically the collaboration that you need to really um, accelerate and, and integrate two companies. So I, I don't think business travel will ever stop. I, I actually think this 100% remote work may work for some companies, but if you're a high growth collaborative company, uh, I'm not sure it's the right format, or at least we don't think it is. Um, so, so I think that I think people are starved for human act- interactions, and I think it is needed, you know, if you're going to build that next great uh, tech company, you're still going to need it. International borders, they're opening up more and more. How much will that play into maybe greasing the wheels for, you know, future business deals, just making the economy uh, that much more pumped up for growth, uh, even if it's just for non-essential travel that's going to be available? Yeah, I've done uh, a couple trips now or last month. I'm off again on the weekend uh, to a big conference in the U.S. It, it is an important ingredient. And, and I think for a Canadian company, it's especially important because uh, for a while there, the, it was very hard as a Canadian company to get south of the border, which really gives someone in country, specifically in the U.S. markets, an unfair advantage because they're traveling freely. And if you're a foreigner not able to get in or you're spending two weeks in quarantine when you get back, um, that that was that was challenging. Now we're we're through that. There's still a lot of friction there, but we're through that. But I I think um, geez, I don't know if this economy or, or or the tech space can accelerate even more, but I, I, I certainly think it's going to be a key component of at least supporting the growth rates that we're seeing right now. So maybe I'll leave you off with this question, kind of a, a broader thing going on within the tech ecosystem here in British Columbia. But the emergence of unicorns, uh, it, it's just been unheard of in Vancouver's history in the tech landscape. Uh, before Abcelera, I think the previous one I reported on was Avigilon. They had their exit like two years earlier. Um from your perspective, what is driving all of this right now? And I don't know, like, are, are you surprised by it? Or does it all make sense based on kind of the, the macroeconomic issues that at, are at hand right now with kind of the buildup of capital? Yeah, I, I would say there's two types of unicorns. Um, one, which kind of represents an exit, right? So so a company gets sold and it achieves that billion dollar type valuation. I think that's a that's really a, a, a result of, you know, there's bigger companies here in BC, but also the multiples that are being paid for growth software companies are at an all-time high. So it's a combination of bigger companies, multiples are, are, are quite significant. Now, when it comes to the billion-dollar valuation on a fundraise, um, I think what that represents, which is something very different, which is that if, if you're raising money on a billion or, or case a $2 billion market and you're raising a substantial amount of, of, of capital from a reputable investor, 
they're looking for a, a four or five, six X return on that. So they have a belief that your market and your capabilities are, are, are combined will lead to this much bigger platform that, that can achieve, you know, five X on what that billion dollar representative. So in the case of a fundraising, I think it's, it's fantastic because it means that both the company here in Vancouver, you know, believes that they can be much bigger. They're planning a flag that they intend to be independent for quite some time because there's not too many acquisitions done globally at, at a four or $5 billion valuation. So what it's saying is my investor and I believe there's a huge opportunity. I've got a competitive edge and I can be a leading platform play in that opportunity. And that's, that I think is really exciting. You know, quite frankly, much more exciting than the, that billion dollar exit, which is phenomenal for the ecosystem. But listen, if we, if we look forward five years ago and, and, and a portion of those billion dollar unicorns are platform companies here in BC, well, that'll be damn exciting, right? Because it just means that we will really have emerged as one of the tech centers uh, within North America. Yeah, because I, I think you bring up a very good distinction. Um, a Vigilon, kind of a, a very cool company, but it's now owned by kind of an American multinational right now. And, and so I, it kind of, it, it makes more sense from your perspective. If we are building a lot of these anchor companies more and more, building these unicorns, drawing the talent in, and they're more likely kind of keep the IP in Vancouver, keep the talent in Vancouver. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, and, and they're likely more likely to for, find, find their exit through a public offering, which means they're independent, and 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 that means you're going to have more head office talent. You're going to have more. Um, those are the companies that are going to be acquiring. So it not only creates jobs in, in Vancouver, but it creates a different type of job. Um, it's a job that the DNA of the company is is still here versus becoming a subsidiary or or part of a very large multinational conglomerate. Well, excellent. Steve, very insightful stuff. It's very cool just following a company. I, I remember speaking to your predecessor like seven or eight years ago about uh, time spent rubbing elbows at uh, accelerators in Silicon Valley to see it go from there to like just have like this explosion in growth over the last few years. It's been fascinating. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for illuminating some of the other stuff that's been going on uh, in the recent last uh, year or so right now. Uh, pleasure, Tyler. And um and 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 thanks for you know business in Vancouver. You guys really do cover and support the tech industry, which is an important ingredient as well. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Uh, that is Steve Munford. He is CEO of Trulio, and that is it for this show today. But if you go to biv.com, more interviews, more stories, videos, and more over there. In the meantime, I just want to thank everyone for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.